Well, thank you so much. There are many Christian qualities I desire for my life, but I suppose the one I have prayed for most consistently is gratitude. I do not believe it is possible to be unhappy and grateful. So when I am tempted to ingratitude, there are two thoughts I entertain. One is that God is on his throne, and two is that ultimately his will will prevail. Today I want to speak to you about a vision of thanksgiving. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As I read that passage of Scripture, it seems to me that verse number 18, the apostle is saying that our look determines our outlook. In other words, it is probably more important how you see than what you see. Those people who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, people of faith, were people who are listed there because of how they saw their world. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. So those people there in Hebrews chapter 11, these people of faith, the Bible says they did not receive the promises, but they saw them. It is not always what we see that is so important. It is how we see what we see. I'm going to share with you some things for which I am thankful, beginning with the Savior. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The indescribable gift of reference there is Jesus Christ, the God-man. So let's think about Jesus, the gift of God. Well, we know, first of all, about the humanity of Jesus. In fact, Philip Yancey wrote in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, that it is impossible to separate Jesus from his Jewishness and his humanity if we are going to understand him. In other words, we must understand Jesus within the context of his humanity. He was human physically. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. So, When Jesus came to this earth, he came in a human body. That means then that he suffered the limitations of humanity. He knew what it was to be tired, 
The Bible tells us about him coming to Jacob's well, and the scripture says, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. So the Bible says that Jesus, because he was a human, understands what it means to be weary. He was tired. He understood what it was to be hungry. When he was visiting with the woman at the well, the Bible says that he sent his disciples to get food. Why? Because he was hungry. So he knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be hungry. And he also felt pain. Every blow that was inflicted on him, he felt. When he was crucified, he suffered. So the Bible says that he was human physically. He was also human intellectually. There were some things that as a human being he learned. The scripture says in Hebrews 5, 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So the Bible says then that he learned through his experience. He learned through his suffering. So when we think about Jesus, you must understand him within the context of his humanness. He was human physically, he was human intellectually, and he was also human emotionally. Yancey wrote that most people seem to think of Jesus without emotion. We don't think of him in terms of emotion. He said we think of sort of a Jesus on Prozac, that he just goes through life but there is no emotion. Well, that's not true if we understand the Bible. For instance, he experienced anger. When Jesus saw the abuse of the money changers in the temple, he was angry as a result of it. And the Bible says that he overturned the tables because of the abuse that was there. He understood that. He felt that. He felt compassion for people who were suffering. The scripture says in Matthew 9, 36, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. In the context of that verse, when Jesus looked on the people at that time, to him they appeared as sheep being chased by wolves. And the scripture says that he felt compassion for them. He cared. I mean, that's a blessing to me that th to think that Jesus feels compassion when we are suffering. Sometimes we think that he is removed, that he is untouched when we are suffering. And yet the Bible says that he felt compassion for the people. Jesus felt grief. When his friend Lazarus died, the Bible says that Jesus wept. So there is the humanity of Jesus, but God's indescribable gift is more than that. He is also divine. In fact, his friends exhausted the language to describe him. They went to the realm of Jewish thought and took the highest title there and said, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. That's the way that they described him. They went to the realm of Greek thought and said, he is the Logos. They went to the field of geology and said, he's the rock of ages. They went to the field of astronomy and said he is the bright morning star. But all these terms are inadequate to describe Jesus because he is God become flesh. The scripture says in John chapter 1 verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
When Jesus came in human form to this earth, the Bible says that he was God in the flesh. Even his enemies echoed such descriptions of Jesus speaking of his divinity. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. You know the story. How he betrayed his Lord. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And then Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. That's what Judas said. After betraying Jesus, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. When Jesus stood before Pilate, being interrogated at his hands, his wife sent word to Pilate and said to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. And the Roman centurion who watched him die declared, truly, this was the Son of God. So folks, I'm thankful for the Savior. I'm thankful for God's indescribable gift. And my heart was blessed a moment ago as you were singing, praise the King, because he is the King. I'm thankful for the Savior, the one who gave his life that we might have life. And then I'm thankful for the strength that he gives us. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. Did you know in Jesus you have the strength you need to live your life for him? Paul spent most of his ministry in prison. And the Lord gave him strength not only to survive prison but to thrive while he was there. The Lord gave him strength. When Paul was at Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. But the Lord gave him strength and raised him up. Paul said that he was shipwrecked, that he suffered from a thorn in the flesh. There's been a lot of speculation as to what that thorn in the flesh was, and I have no idea. We can only speculate as to what it was, but he suffered from the thorn in the flesh, and yet Paul was able to say in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He gives us the strength we need to live for him. He gives you the strength that you need, my friend, to live for him at work. I know it's hard. But he gives us the strength that we need to live for him in the workplace. When the Lord got hold of my life and changed my life, as you know, I worked at a television station and I I was changed. I began to live differently, began to act differently, began to relate differently. And those people I worked with really didn't understand it. And I understand that they didn't understand it. As a result of that, they were not always kind. But the Lord gave strength. He gave strength for me to live for him there. And he'll give strength to you to live for him in the workplace. Folks, don't think that just because you are at work in a place where there, are not, where there is not a Christian influence to speak of, that you don't have the strength to live for him because he'll give you that strength. I know that there are some of you who are trying to live for Jesus and you love Jesus, but you're not being supported at home. Maybe there are family members who don't support your commitment to him. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the strength to be the light there within your family life. And students, it isn't easy at school. I know that. It wasn't when I was going, and I think it's probably much more difficult now to live for the Lord in that setting because there's so much opposition. Even when I was in school, there, there was not always the support, but there wasn't the hostility that there is now, and I understand that. But the Lord will give you strength. 
He'll give you the strength that you need to make a difference in your class, to, to make a difference in your school. When I talk with Marcus Lattimore, and I thank God for him, I know that he's having a, a tough time because of the injury and so forth, and, and uh, I, I can't imagine what he must be going through. But boy, he has just been committed to the Lord. He asked me, he said, pray for me that I'll be faithful to the Lord. And then old TJ over here, having a Bible study in his, in his living room and trying to use an, his, his platform as an influence for Christ. God bless you for that. God bless you guys who are, who are standing for the Lord because students, all of you can do that. The Lord will give you the strength, the, the strength that you need to stand for Christ. That's what Paul is saying. I thank God for the strength that he gives me through Jesus Christ. He gives us the strength to live for him and he gives us the strength to die for him if necessary. The Apostle Paul was writing from a Roman prison. He said, I am ready to be offered the time of my departures at hand. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished my course. Henceforth there's laid it for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me that day. Not to me, only to all those who love his appearing. And then he was martyred. But the Lord gave him the strength to live for him. He gave him the strength to die for him. Simon Peter denied that he knew who Jesus was. And then legend says that when it came time for him to die that he was crucified upside down because he said, I don't... I am not worthy to be crucified as was my Lord. And so the Lord then gave him the strength to live for him and gave him the strength to die for him. One of my favorite characters is Polycarp. He was a, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was an old man, lived during the time of Rome when they had once a year, the citizens once a year had to burn a pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord. The Roman soldiers came to his house because he refused to do that. And they said, you don't even have to mean it, just do it, because you're an old man. And Polycarp said, these 80 and 6 years have I been a Christian. Never once has my Savior failed me, and I will not fail him now. And he died as a martyr. The Lord gave him the strength to do that. I, I've wondered before, I've read about the martyrs and all those people, and I admire them so much, but I have wondered, well, Wendell, what if it were you? Perhaps you have also. Would I have the strength to die for Jesus if I were called upon to die for him? Would you have the strength to die for Jesus if you were called upon to die for him? Now, I, I guess the reason we wonder is because so often we find ourselves in settings where we won't even stand up and say that we are a Christian. Now, what would we do if we were called upon to die for him? I was talking to Dr. Eliff years ago. He is the father of Tom Eliff, who is the president of the IMB, the International Mission Board. And I shared with him my concern. I said, uh, Dr. Eliff, you know, I read about these martyrs, but I'm not sure that I have that kind of faith. I'm not sure that I have that kind of courage. And he gave me some comfort. He said, uh, Wendell, God will not give you a martyr's grace unless he calls on you to be a martyr. And if he calls on you to be a martyr, then he will give you the grace to be a martyr. You see, I'm thankful for the strength that is ours in Jesus Christ. That he gives us the strength to live our lives, even in a hostile environment. 
and he gives us the strength if necessary to die for him. I am thankful for the strength that he gives. And then I'm thankful for the satisfaction that he gives us in life. Some years ago, the Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, the reason a lot of times we can't get no satisfaction is that we're looking in the wrong place for satisfaction. The rich young ruler seemed to have everything we think that will give us satisfaction. He was rich, he was young, and he was a man of power. But he was not satisfied, and that's the reason that he came to Christ. Folks, there are some of you who think that if I can just get this job, or if I can just get this promotion, then I'm going to be satisfied. No, you're not, because it can't satisfy you. There are some of you who think, if I can just get married, if I can just get this person to marry me, if I can just trick them into marrying me, then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied. No, you're not. You know, one of the things that I have, I have learned in talking with a lot of people who have marital problems is that there are so many people who get married with the idea that this person is going to make me happy. My friend, let me tell you something very candidly. No one else can make you happy. If you're looking for someone else to make you happy, then you're going to be unhappy because no one else can make you happy. It's an inside job. And there are a lot of guys who think this wife is, you know, she's not a good wife. She's not making me happy. And a lot of women who think he's not a good husband because he isn't making me happy. No one can make you happy. I sort of agree with Abraham Lincoln who said people are about as happy as they decide to be. But we think that if I just get this person to marry me, then I'm going to be happy. If you're not happy, you're not going to be happy. That house that you got, you were so excited about it when you got it. Now you're looking for another one. It's satisfied for a little bit, but it's not satisfying now. Those possessions that you bought, those things you just had to have. They satisfied you at the moment, but not now. Now you're looking for something else. Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that will satisfy your heart is the Lord Jesus. The hymn says, I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has suffered to redeem me. He has died to set me free. I mention every once in a while Margaret Garrett. She's not able to come very often anymore. I love her. I mean, she is feisty. She'll tell you exactly what she thinks, and that's the reason I've always liked her. But when I can, I'll force her into singing. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. She's getting close to 100. I don't know if I should say that or not. She's getting on up there. She's lost her girlish figure. I know that. (laughs) But that is so true. Some of you are, are looking for satisfaction in life and you, you want to have this sense of joy and, and, and satisfaction. It will only come in I'm thankful for the satisfaction that is ours through Jesus Christ. That I'm thankful for the saints. The churches that the Lord has allowed me to serve. The first little church that I pastored was a part-time church for me. I was going to school and so forth. Liberty Baptist Church. I don't think it's in existence anymore. I mean, I did a great job with that church. It's, it is, uh, 
But those people tolerated me. I did the best I could to pretend I knew what I was doing, but it was obvious I didn't. And yet they were kind to me. I remember when Linda and I had uh, two children and, and we were concerned about them getting out in the street. And so we lived in a little parsonage, a little four-room parsonage. Uh, I loved that place because when the wind blew, the curtains would just flop in the house. I mean, it, they, because it had, it had holes all over the house. But, but we said we needed a fence. And I remember in a church conference, Hattie Gibson, she said, well, we might as well give them a fence. We've given them everything else. And they were so kind to us. I mean, they paid me $100 a week and, and gave us a fence. I mean, does it get any better than that? But I thank God for that church because they allowed me to preach to them, to learn to preach. And then we left there and went to the First Baptist Church of Pawhuska. That was my first full-time church, and they toughened me up. It was a, it was a place uh, in northeast Oklahoma, and uh, it was all ranchers and oil people. Now, those are tough people. I remember being at a deacon's meeting one, hall, one, uh, one night. We had deacon's meeting, and we got finished about 8 o'clock, and I drug home, you know, because in the deacon's meeting, they, what they did is take the pastor and beat the thunder out of him. And so, but that toughened me up, so prepared me for you. So, <laughs> so it was about 8 o'clock, and I got home, and then the doorbell rang. I just got in. The doorbell rang. It was Bud and... Dr. Strong, they were there to say they weren't finished. <laughs> and so we went out until, uh, until midnight, and we continued to disagree. I got back home at midnight, and we still didn't agree. But, but I thank God for that church because they toughened me up. And then we went to the Council Road Baptist Church and served there, and there the Lord taught me about growing a church and some of the, some of the things that are necessary. And then he brought me here, and you have tempered me. You have really given me more balance in life. And I thank God for you. I, I, thank, I thank the Lord for you. I thank, I thank the Lord for the churches that he has allowed me to pastor. I thank the Lord for the individuals, those who pray for me. Every Sunday morning, there are some deacons who come in my office and pray for me about this service. Every Sunday morning. I thank God for those guys. Charles Jackson, the pastor of Brookland Baptist Church, prays for me every week. My wife prays for me. My daughter prays for me. Every Sunday morning at 7.30, my son calls me and says, Dad, I prayed for you. I'm, I'm thankful for those people who pray for me. I'm thankful for those people who encourage me. And I know that you do as well. I look over there at Reverend Littleton. I, I receive an email from him just about every week. And uh, he, he gives an encouraging word, and, and many of you do as well. And you encourage each other. Folks, that's what we need. That's what, that's what we're to do. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. I'm thankful for your love because I love you more every day. I thank God for you, and I love you, and I thank the Lord for the privilege of serving here. I'm thankful for the saints. And then Paul said in Colossians 1, 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, now that seems strange to me. I rejoice in my sufferings? George Matheson prayed, My God, I have never thanked thee for my thorn. I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses, but never once for my thorn. 
I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensation for my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn. Show me that I have climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbow. Thank you for my suffering. Now, why would Paul say that? I think it's because he understood two things. First of all, it is in our sufferings that we become dependent on God. The Korean Christians, when they were going through their time of persecution, said we're like nails. The harder you hit us, the deeper we go. That's probably true with us as well. It is during those times of suffering that we become more dependent on the Lord. And then secondly, Paul understood that our suffering is temporary. In verse number 18, he says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Whatever you're going through, it's temporary. Whatever it is, it's temporary. And then I'm thankful for salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith. And so the scripture says then that we become a child of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him, and he gives to us the gift of salvation. I'm thankful for salvation in Jesus. So as we face the Thanksgiving season today, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Savior, God's indescribable gift. I'm thankful for the strength he gives to live for him and to die for him. I'm thankful for the satisfaction that he brings to life because the world never can. I'm thankful for the saints, the people of God, I'm working on being thankful for suffering. I understand it intellectually. I work on that. And I'm thankful for salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus, God's indescribable gift? If not, you should. He loves you and gave his life that you might have life. Our gracious Father, we come to a time of invitation and ask, Lord, your blessings upon it. I pray, Father, for those who have never come to know Jesus, that they might today. I pray, Father, for those who are looking for a church home, they might feel comfortable here. Bless this invitation time in Christ's name. Amen. Just a moment, we will stand, extend an invitation. The choir will sing. An opportunity for you. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, that you can do so today. Someone would love to pray with you and talk with you. If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.